In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht git blether. Welcome to episode four of Scottish Blethers. Hard to believe we're on episode four already, but there you go. Coming up in the next 30 odd minutes, we're going to explore the following themes. Liz, what are you up to do? Well, I'm going to be talking today about one of those iconic sites that everybody wants to see when they come to Scotland. I'm going to be talking about the traditional Highland Games. Great. Helen, what are you up to? Yes, and I'm Helen and my blether today is about childhood games, the games that we played before technology. Great. Well, my topic is loosely related in terms of the games we play. Mine is about the Edinburgh-Glasgow rivalry. <laughs> Only 50 miles separates them, but it's quite a rivalry. So, Liz, over to you. Okay, well, the Highland Games, what, what put this into my mind is that I was coming down the road to the other day and I saw the sign for the Burnham Games. Burnham is a little village um, in Perthshire and it had, like all the games this year, it had a great big sign splattered across it saying cancelled. Now, there's an official games calendar in Scotland and the games run from June right through to September, October. And it's one of the highlights, particularly for the villages that they're, they're held in. And um, one of the features of a Highland Games is they tend to be held in beautiful locations. So you have a games park, a field or some kind of open green area, usually set surrounded by mountains. Um, so that if you get a fine evening, afternoon, it is one of the highlights of the calendar. So how did these Highland Games come about? Well, some say that it was back to the time of Malcolm Canmore in the 11th century, Malcolm of the Big Head, Canmore in Gaelic means big head, and that he was trying to find the fastest and the strongest. He wanted the fastest to be his couriers and the strongest to go into battle for him. Others say that it's just part of Highland culture, that it was the clan chiefs who were trying to find their couriers and their warriors. So they would pe people... Um, to various tests to find out who was the strongest and fastest. They also wanted to have good social life as well. So it wasn't just all about running and, and uh, strength. It was also about the best pipers and the best dancers that they were looking for. And today, the Highland Games continues with that tradition. We have the events, as they're called, and you'll have races. Um, people get paid prize money. For, um, the races so you'll find that people go around the different uh, Highland Games in the, the calendar competing at these events. Usually there's one specialist event 
which is usually climbing to the top of the nearest mountain. So, for example, um, just a couple of weeks ago, it should have been Newton Moore Highland Games. And last year, my daughter competed in the hill race um, up to the top of the... She just about killed herself in the, in the process, but she did have a go at it. So there's the events which are testing speed. Of course, what we probably associate with the games are the events that test strength. So what they would do is to pick up some local object. It could have been a large stone from the river. It could have been the blacksmith's hammer. Or it could be in the trunk of a Scots pine tree with all the branches removed from it. And they would use those as tests of strength. And today we continue that tradition. So we have tossing the caber which is a great, like a great big um, telegraph pole. And there's a technique. They have to toss it right over and it has to be at 12 o'clock on the, the arms of a clock. And they get judged by the judges at the event to see who can toss it over and uh, who can get the best technique into it. We have putting the shot, which is like a large stone, and throwing the hammer, um, which is a large piece of metal attached to a leather that they have to put for the greatest distance. And in Scotland, we have the World Championship events where heavies from all over the world come to compete in these events. And usually there's a specialist event linked with every Highland Games across it. We have the judging of the piping and the dancing, and it's very fiercely contested with everybody taking it very seriously. So probably the best known Highland Games in Scotland is perhaps the Braemar Highland Games, the Royal Highland Gathering, where um, people from across the world come to perform in front of royalty. In actual fact, the biggest is in Danoon at the Cowl Games, where people gather particularly for the piping there. But these Highland Games are celebrated across the world nowadays and the largest event actually takes place in North Carolina in the United States. So the Scottish diaspora spreading across the world and a little bit of home and annual Highland Games. So have either of you been at Highland Games last year? Oh yes, I went to the Kenmore Highland Games last year. And what I like about Highland Games is, as you said, Liz, they're in a field just sort of beside the village or in the village. And they're very small, they're very coothy. And no matter how important even the Braemar games, it's still a field just beside the village. Yeah, I should also have said that they're a very important social gathering for the village oh. itself. So they have a beer tent and they have <laughs> um, all of the stalls have Highland Fair for sale at it. So it's very much an opportunity for the locals to get together and let their hair down. Yeah, and it's 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 just good. And the heavies, I think, is always the big pool. The the heavies, um, you know, tossing the caber, etc. As you said, but I actually like the tug of war. Oh yes, the tug of war at the end. That's where you get teams of of people. I won't say men or women. It's a teams of people literally trying to pull a rope across a line. And there are actually kind of professional tug of war teams um, up in the Highlands. They have local tug-of-war teams who go round the games. And again, there's money to be made. But what's nice about the games, Liz, as you said, is the fact that there's something for everyone. You don't need to be a professional heavy to have a wee go at trying to lift the smithy stone or something like that. You can go and try it. 
Yes, my cousin's husband is a local farmer in Perthshire and he uses his time out in the fields with the sheep and the cows to, to go out and practice his running. And he will do quite a lot of the running races around the, the Highland Games circuit mm-hmm. uh, and can win himself quite a lot of money, which is also a good little bit of pocket money um, when you're out and about. My favourite games, I would say, are probably the local ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the the Highland Games up at Blair Castle and Blair Athol at the end of May. It's always kind of around about the 25th of May, that bank holiday weekend. And of course, the Blair Athol, it's, it's a good opportunity to say that they tend to be based around clan gatherings as well. Yes, yes. uh-huh. And, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of a weekend celebration up at Blair Athol because you've got the Athol Highlanders, the only private army in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the Duke of Athol was given permission by the Queen to to have uh, their own armed guard after they looked after her. So you get the Parade of the Athol Highlanders pipe band, which is fabulous. And then the Pitlochry Highland Games is traditionally the last one of the season, uh, around about the third weekend in September, so the weekend after Braemar. And, and as you say, it's a social thing. I like going around and talking to everybody I know locally uh, and catching up in the chat, as well as seeing the pipe bands and seeing the young pipers and drummers mm-hmm. coming through and doing their individual and the group competition. It's also such an international event because anybody can apply um, to compete in the events. And there's always uh, events on the day that you can just turn up and subscribe to. So it tends to be large numbers of tourists coming from all over the world to witness this event and to, to sometimes take part in it. Talking about the pipe bands, Susan, my son was in a pipe band. And so I spent many summers going around the Highland Games with their pipe band as he was too young to really travel on his own. And just what experience for them to march onto the field and you know, have all these people, the audience, great fun. And I went to Cowl Games, Liz, you mentioned Cowl Games, and it, you, it takes place, I think, the weekend of or just close to the World Championships. So you have all the bands that have come to Scotland for the wild World Championship pipe bands go to Cowl, and it's a magical event. Yeah, I'm always really impressed by the dedication of the parents, particularly with the Highland dancing. There's oh, all these yes. little tots start from about the age of three, and yes. they're all so serious. They have their beautiful um, Highland dress. There's a, a whole series of different dances that they can compete in, and each one of them has got a tradition behind it. Yeah. Um, the, the sword dance, of course, perhaps the most famous, was said to be you know, that the, the dancer would perform in front of the clan chief, and if he could perform the dance without touching the swords, then it was a, a good omen for going into battle the following day so uh, yeah lots of parents turning up supporting them great well it's great to see people still coming through and doing that oh yes I think with Highland dancing Liz as you say it's become more and more used to be a men only event um, but now there's not so many boys doing Highland dancing so it's mostly girls you'll see on the stages yeah, Bremar was the last one to come over and, and allow women in. And it was for exactly that reason that they needed to have more people competing in their dance compositions. OK, so Helen, we've been talking about Highland Games. Tell us about childhood games. What can you remember? Yes, well, some of the things, you know, nowadays I look at my grandchildren and they're just tied to a, some technology. And, you know, before technology took over our lives, Children played outside and interacted with each other, you know, face to face. And some of the games that we played needed very little in the way of equipment. You could spend hours with a length of string and your fingers making patterns and passing the cradle back and forth between each other's fingers. 
Cat's Cradle, that's what it was called, was played indoors or outside. But a great playground game was Peaver, or Hopscotch, a kind of hopscotch. A grid of nine squares is drawn on the ground in chalk, and each square is numbered. The Peaver is a small round tin, usually an old shoe polish tin or an old tobacco tin. And starting with the Peaver in square one, you hopped, pushing the Peaver with your foot into the next box and through the boxes until you reach number 10, which was out. The box or foot touches the lines, then the next player takes their turn. You could also have two tin cans, old bean, you know, Heinz baked bean tin cans could be used to make a telephone. Punching a hole at the bottom of each can and threading a length of string between the cans. One person speaks into one can and the other listens with the other can. Great game, especially if you did it round a corner and couldn't see each other. And the game of Kirby is another favourite. And in fact, I saw Kirby being played the other day. And Kirby is a quiet street and only a ball is required. Two players stand opposite sides of the road facing each other and take it in turns to bounce the ball off the opposite kerb and catch it. Hours of fun and a watchful eye for, the, for any traffic. But no childhood was complete without skipping ropes and a ball. These games were usually accompanied by singing or rhythmic chant in time to the cawing of the rope or the bouncing of the ball. Ball games usually required a ball to bounce the wall off, while chanting, for example, Charlie Chaplin went to France to show the ladies how to dance. First your heel and then your toe, lift your skirt and through we go. You could also put the ball in the toe of a double layer of your mum's stockings. Stand with your back to the wall and holding the open end of the stocking, bounce the ball off the wall on either side. Skipping could be done on your own or as a whole group game with two people cawing the rope while the others took it in turns to jump in. Like ball games, there was usually a rhythmic song or chant to go with the game. For example, you jumped in and you did high, low, medium, dolly, pepper, high, low, medium, dolly, pepper. Or you could even do more actions. This is the way the teacher stands. This is the way she folds her arms. This is the way she clasps her hands. This is the way she dances. And when it was your turn to go out, Granny in the kitchen doing some stitching, in comes the bogeyman and chases Granny out. While you were in, you had to do the actions of the songs. But we also had Tig and Hide and Seek. Do you remember how we chose who, who would be it? One potato, two potato, three potato, four. Five potatoes, six potatoes, seven potatoes more. And then we made perfume with flower petals. But always in the corner of the playground or the street, you would see a small group of children playing with the marbles. Great fun and great times. Right, so can you remember your childhood games, Susan and Liz? Mine were nothing like that. <laughs> I was just thinking that, Susan. I was just thinking. You must be thinking, what? I, I do remember all of that. I'm afraid to say, Helen, I do remember all of that. Oh, thank you, thank you, Liz. <laughs> Helen, uh, Susan, what about you? What were your games? Oh, goodness. Well, I remember Hopscotch. Yeah. And I remember a little bit of skipping. And then there was that hand one, you know, kind of 
Uh, standing yes. opposite somebody and you've got your hands one hand up one hand down and a sailor the went to ccc to that's see the what one he could see, yes. see, but yes. all that he could see ccc was there was the bottom of the deep blue ccc yes that's, i remember that yeah. one cat's cradle i kind of half remember yeah the rest of them sorry you're on your own ladies oh, so, yeah. so, <laughs> well, I mean, by the time that you're coming into your childhood days health and safety was beginning to kick well, in that's right you could not play caribbean yeah. They went up to my old ho- the old house I used to stay in up in uh, outside Elgin. And I remember the first time I drove up to see the house when we were buying it, there were two boys standing in the street playing Kerby. And last year I went up to visit an old neighbour. And would you believe there were two boys standing in the street playing Kerby, which I thought was really good. 40 years difference. <laughs> Yes, well, we did play tag. I do remember like Tig or Tag, and it was yes. it was British Bulldog. I think was one of the ones. Yes, that's another one. Yes, but to be honest, all all the tag games are pretty much the same. It was just yes. a case of where you played it. Yeah, and what's um, the time, Mister Wolf was another one. Ah, yes, I do remember that. Somebody stood stood with their back, and the group had to creep up. What's the time, Mister Wolf? It's two o'clock. Yeah. Two steps forward. What's the time, Mister Wolf? And then when he said dinner time, you all had to run away without being caught. Goodness. Liz, come on, tell me, which was your favourite game when you were a kid? As I say, I'm sorry to say that I do remember all of, all of these. <laughs> um, I think by the time that I was getting through, you know, if I think of my own daughter, who's not too far off your age, Susan, it was tending to be, you know, we're talking about millennials, more structured time mm-hmm. rather than free time. I mean, when I was a child... Not quite. Just on the transition, I think you're probably Generation X or whatever. But... Uh-huh. Um, you know, when we were young, we just used to go out for the day on our bikes and come uh-huh. back when we were hungry. Whereas yes. my daughter's generation, it was much more structured. Yeah. So by that time, you were getting into um, you, you were getting into things like the singing kettle. Um, I don't know if you remember yes, that, but yes. um, the singing kettle was a great thing for youngsters, where it was songs with actions. Yeah. Um, so so more structured, more going to ballet classes. You know. Um, gymnastics classes i think we see now uh, so many things so many toys so little time for that generation yeah but you're right liz because we used to go out and just just wander go things that you know as you say health and safety's come in now so you you can't let the kids just go and play in the field or or go out on their bikes or you even cycle four or five miles to to visit their friends it's just not safe to do so nowadays so Susan, what do you remember? What, what, how did you spend your time, your free time? Well, we lived in the country, um, not far from where I am now. Sorry, that's the train going past making a noise. Um, <laughs> I, wondered, I wondered what that was. <laughs> well, we used to go out on our bikes. We yeah. used to go out for walks in the woods. And then every afternoon, because there's a, a lock in front of our house, we were allowed to take the boat out on the water. Oh in the summer um, as long as mum and dad were in the house and we stayed within view we could take out a little boat that we had called the otter and we've still actually got it I've just hauled it out the water last week to give it a little bit of a, a bit of TLC and we used to have great fun going out in the boat and then uh-huh. trying to capsize it and my parents had a hotel at the time so there'd be all the guests going oh look at the little children oh the boat's capsized are they okay and running into reception of course they would phone down to mum and dad go are the kids okay yeah yeah they're just having a laugh don't worry about it um so you know we had a kind of I suppose in a way a bit of a swallows and amazons type uh childhood in the summer 
because yeah. we just did whatever we wanted. And as long as you pitched up at mealtimes, that was great. It was interesting, Susan, that in, in boats, um, when I was growing up, up, up until I was about nine, we stayed in a house that was just oh, yards from the, the River Forth and the rowing mm -hmm. club. And we used to just wander down to the rowing club. And if there's people there going out in the boat, they'd say, do you want to wee turn up to the bridges, you know, in Stirling? And, and mm -hmm. we do that. I mean, nowadays, people phoning the police if little children were getting into boats. Yeah, on the I, think, river. I think we also used our imagination a lot more. I yes. mean, I remember the summer holidays, we would spend hours and hours with some particular game. I remember for a while, the monkeys, hey, hey, with the monkeys. Oh, yes. You know, that we, we all, we played a game around that and we played a game around the sound of music. We were, we were all the family von Trapp. <laughs> and we would just, you know, we would just use our imaginations yes. and the time would just fly yes. by. I think imagination and making do with what was around you was very much part of it. The tin cans, the bits of strings, the ball, your your mother's stockings are tight, you know, all these things. And walking on high heeled shoes, do you remember that? Oh definitely. That walking was my daughter. Up. She was obsessed by that. <laughs> clip clip clopping up the road in the high heeled shoes. Yep. Yes. Okay, well, I think that's we've we've exhausted childhood games. We now have to learn all about all the things in our play on technology, which I haven't a clue about. And um, we'll now see what Susan has to say about Edinburgh and Glasgow. Yeah, well, I, I picked a topic um, for this episode that I thought would get a good bit of debate going, a bit of banter, a bit of chat, and, and bring out the rivalries between the East and the West. So <laughs> Edinburgh, current capital of Scotland, and then Glasgow, much bigger city, but a city that has a very fond place in my heart. I've lived in both cities. I much prefer Glasgow, which is quite a controversial attitude to have for the folk from Edinburgh or those that prefer Edinburgh. And um, there's only 50 miles separating these two cities, and there is a huge rivalry. You know, if you talk to Edinburgh folk, oh yeah, Glasgow, oh yeah, I'll never go there. And Glasgow folk are like, oh, they're far too posh in Edinburgh. Traditionally, one might be seen as Edinburgh being more posh, Glasgow being more working class. I would say tourism, obviously, in Edinburgh is huge. There is tourism in Glasgow, but it's not as well understood and it's not a place that a lot of people will think of going to when they come to Scotland. Their automatic reaction is Edinburgh. I would say, move that reaction over. Go Glasgow, Glasgow. When you go out in Edinburgh, you're basically out in the whole town of Edinburgh. And I've bumped into people that I haven't seen since I was like maybe six, seven years old on a night out in Edinburgh. In Glasgow, you tend to pick the city centre, the south side, the west end, maybe even the east end. And you, you tend to stick to your area. So I used to live on the south side of Glasgow. And I'd either go out in the south side or the city centre. Getting to the west end was a bit of a faff, but has some very nice bars as well and lots to see in Edinburgh you open your eyes and you see the beauty in Glasgow you open your eyes and you have to look around and look up there's some amazing buildings in Glasgow and as far as I'm concerned Glasgow's where the real people live <laughs> probably controversial I would say but maybe you should visit both and decide for yourself so ladies which side of the debate do you sit on Edinburgh or Glasgow and why well I have to say that growing up in Stirling which is if you think of a triangle, you've got the bottom line between Edinburgh and Glasgow and go up to a point, you find Stirling and that makes your triangle. So Stirling is equidistant between the two. 
Yeah, come uh, on, come on, get off the fence. <laughs> get off the top of the triangle. But I have to say that we, we used to go to Edinburgh rather than Glasgow. But the interesting thing about Edinburgh and Glasgow as well, another difference is that at school, when we were looking at what universities we were going to, if you were going to Glasgow University, um, you would travel daily. It wasn't, you didn't go up and live in residences. If you were going to Edinburgh, you would always go and stay in residence. It was just- So why was that? Well, they they also say, I mean, part of that is down to the fact that they say that Glaswegians are very insular. insular. You know, they love Glasgow. They think there's nowhere like it. So we used to say when someone was picking a university in Glasgow, they picked it according to which bus route they were on. Uh Whereas in Edinburgh, (laughs) um, it's supposed to be more cosmopolitan, more international. Um, Both of them have have their their pluses (laughs) and minuses. But but both of them, you know, they say that people make Glasgow. That's the slogan associated with it. And Glasgow has grown up. Yeah, it's grown up out of um, an industrial heartland. You know, it had the manufacturing there. And out of the shipyards and the the factories came a humour. So Glaswegians are famous for their their humour and their warmth. And uh, so that's a huge plus for Glasgow. So it sounds like you two are on the Edinburgh side of things. No, definitely no, not. I, I, want, I, I have to say I, I love both cities because yeah. they are both, in my view, so very, very different. I, Edinburgh has got the... It's, it's a come in, you'll have your tea. Come in, you'll have had your tea. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, so you better explain that one then. Uh-huh. The story is that if you knock on the door at tea time, about five o'clock in Glasgow, the, you, they'll open the door and say, oh, hello, lovely to see you. Come in, you'll have your tea. means you'll stay and have your tea with us. Ah, you see, you, the phrase I learned was, you'll have had your tea. That's, that's in Edinburgh. If you knock on the door in Edinburgh, they, they'll say, oh, hello, it's nice to see you. You'll have had your tea. It means we're not giving you your tea because you've had your tea. And of course, the other the other saying is the Edinburgh folk, the people in Glasgow would say the Edinburgh folk are all fur coat and knee knickers. <laughs> they're, they're all show. They're all about the outside, uh, whereas it's the heart and the warmth of Glasgow that's important. I think we're going to have to kind of redress the balance a wee bit and just say that these are all stories, which, of course, we don't totally agree with. Yeah. But Edinburgh is your chocolate box. Edinburgh is beautiful. It sits in front of you. You just enjoy it. Whereas Glasgow, you've got to scrape the surface. And if you do scrape the surface, you're so rewarded by what you find underneath it. But I just think there's so many great places you can visit in Glasgow. I mean, Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum, absolutely brilliant. And of the 20-odd guides that I trained with um, when I did my blue badge, 17 of them said that Kelvin Grove was their favourite museum in the whole of Scotland. Mm -hmm. It's big enough, but it's small enough. I mean, it's got a spitfire. It's got stuffed animals. It's got some amazing paintings. It's got Charles Rennie McIntosh. It's got armour. Mm-hmm. It's got Salvador Dali as well. Yes, yeah, the yeah. Scots' favourite painting. Uh, and of course, all most of our public museums, all our public museums are free in Scotland. So yes. that's an added benefit yes. to anybody to come. But there's the, the drawbacks as well. I mean, Glasgow has traditionally had a bad reputation for gangs and whatever, which is, is, is I mean, if you saw the centre of Glasgow nowadays, it's very metropolitan. It's the second retail centre in the UK after mm-hmm. after London. 
but uh, Glasgow particularly for um, religious bigotry, the divide between Protestant and Catholic. Yes. It's notorious for that. So but in I Glasgow, think all that's that's part of that's in the past now. They've yeah. worked very very hard to um, make sure that that isn't there, and across all religious, um, have working very hard to ensure. That yeah, bigotry but it's still is... an undertone. It's still an undertone. There's definitely people still will ask undertone. you will ask you your name so they know which divide. Whereas in Edinburgh, um Edinburgh quite different in that it's obsessed by private schooling. So they won't ask you your name, they'll ask you um which school <laughs> which... you went to. Yeah, that's because of the scholarships. No, not necessarily. It's because well, you know, there's a, a lot more um Snobbery? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well <laughs> well, just important importance vested on yeah. material goods, perhaps. Yes, uh-huh. Whereas Glasgow, it's just like, oh, who are you and what are you up to? And, you know, some of my guests when we've been in Glasgow so where can we go for, you know, for a drink and stuff? And we've stayed generally in the city centres. Oh, you've got to go up to the, the pot still. And some of them have come back the next day at breakfast. Oh, we had the best night. Somebody yes. was having a birthday party, but they just pulled us into their birthday party and we got involved and we had a great night out. And of course um, that happens both both, oh, both yes. cities. There's, it's just generalisations. I think it's yeah. harking back to the past as well. I think so. And I think I think nowadays, I think you know, you're right, Liz. Glasgow is still fighting a reputation um, which they're, they're, they're kind of putting behind them. And it would be really good if more people um, went to Glasgow and enjoyed what we know is there. Yeah, UNESCO City of Music for a start. Well, I'm not going to say scrape under the surface. I'm going to say open your eyes, look around and explore different parts of the city. There's some amazing stuff in Glasgow. And this is where I'm going to cut the debate, ladies. As far as I'm <laughs> concerned, Glasgow wins. <laughs> so there we go. The discussion with the that's it it's glasgow if you've not been to glasgow ladies and gents that are listening get yourself there fabulous city and you know if you want the best of both worlds or you want to cut it both ways you could stay in edinburgh and just take the train through for the day that's another option as well yeah so moving on to the word of the day helen what have you got for us right well i'm going to use the word stooky s-t-o-o-k-y a stooky and because I was talking about childhood games, and we all know that during childhood, playing games, you may you may fall and have an accident, break your leg, break your arm, in which case you go to the hospital and they put a stooky on it, a plaster on the broken limb. So that's a stooky. can also be used uh, to describe somebody. If you say, oh, he's a real stooky, that means he's a, a bit slow in the uptake. I had one of those last year for seven weeks. That was much fun. In fact, I had three separate stookies. Oh, you did have a stookie, that's right. I did, but moving on. Okay, my word is sugarly. Sugarly. So if someone's on a sugarly peg, it means they're very close to either making you annoyed or they're they're living life on the edge. You know, they're on a sugarly peg. They're just about to just get knocked over. Or they're dancing on ice is the other one. You know, they're skating on thin ice. It means that they're they're very close to tipping somebody over at the edge. So sugarly, um, it also if something sugarly, it also means it's a little bit off balance. It's kind of if you're standing trying to balance on a stone going across a, a river and the stone's moving around a bit, you say, "Oh, that stone's a bit sugarly." Liz, how about you? Okay, well, going back to my Highland Games, I was talking about them throwing great big stones. Another word for big or large in Scotland would be muckle. A muckle stone would be a big stone. 
We've also got a saying, money a mickle marks a muckle. And that means lots of little things go together to make a big thing. So if you gather your pennies together, your pennies can grow into pounds. Money a mickle marks a muckle, a muckle great stone. That sounds like a tongue twister to finish on, I think. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much for that. There we have it, our blether for this week. If you'd like to engage with us on social media, everybody out there, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as Scottish Blethers. We'd love to hear what you think of the episode and any topics that you might like us to cover in in future Blethers. So please do get in touch. So it's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.